Want a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints, LSU, the betting world, and the NFL? Then you've picked the right place. Jim Derry has plenty of datitude, and he's ready to tell you the way it is. Well, the way he thinks it is. Where you at, New Orleans? And hello to all my Houdat friends around the country who went from saying, oh no, yesterday to holy filth, florn filth, in a matter of a few hours. Hello, everybody. I'm Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the Towns Picayune, the Advocate, and bet.nola.com. And this is Datitude for a Wednesday, January 26, 2022, a very special episode number 50, the golden episode. And um, who knew when I started this number one, that number 50 would be what today is going to be. I told you yesterday that I'd come back before Friday if something happened with the Sean Payton situation. I just didn't think it would happen an hour after I posted the thing, you know? Remember I told you yesterday the first song I heard in the morning driving my daughter to school was Shock the Monkey? I had a feeling it was going to be a tumultuous day. Boy, was it. The greatest coach in Saints history, the only coach that many young adults have ever really known, and one that had been here for nearly 30% of the franchise's existence and led the team to more than 38% of their regular season victories and all but one of their 10 postseason wins has decided it is time to move on. We are going to spend this entire podcast not only talking about Sean Payton, but for much of it, listening to Sean Payton and going through the key pieces in detail, my favorite pieces, um, if you just heard clips, then you're going to hear plenty you haven't heard. And there are plenty of moments which I think look deep inside who the coach really is. Because we saw a side of Sean Payton yesterday many of us have never seen before. We, we knew why he was drinking the water at awkward times, even though he actually told us he Googled how to get through a press conference without crying. You know, that's why he was drinking the water. I mean, Sean Payton crying? I don't, I don't know that I'd ever see that. You know, that, and that being said, even if you listen to the entire press conference, I think you'll enjoy this show because I'm going to make this almost as if he were talking directly to us on Datitude. I mean, obviously, getting Sean Payton to come on Datitude the day after uh, he resigns is a little tough to do. I don't think he's be going on any shows, really, probably be a little while. I think he will soon. We'll, it'll be interesting to see who he picks first, and um, he will go on a show or two or three. But he's going he's gonna to take some time and step away from this. Uh, he was awesome yesterday and um, took every single question, waited till everyone was done, and... Um, he, he was outstanding. I thought his press conference was, I thought his opening was outstanding. He talks about how he's not a writer and um, 
It was well thought out, thought out, well put together, and obviously thought about it for a long time. In reality, you know, if he, if he would have come on the show today, I'm sure he would have said many of the things uh, that he said in the press conference, if not all of the same things. So I want to go through some of his opening statement and pick a few questions and dissect them a little bit. So that's what we're going to do here. Also, we're going to discuss the top candidates to take over just a little bit, really. I mean, that's, that's more for a later show. Friday, we're going to have uh, Marlon Favorite on, and I'm sure we'll be talking about that as well as the upcoming NFL playoffs. Is Dennis Allen the right person? Is he going to be the, the next Saints head coach? Is it going to be someone that's in the building who recently served under Peyton? Because Dennis Allen and or Pete Carmichael, those would be the logical choices if it's going to come from inside the building. Um, we're going to get into why. Those who recently served in the Peyton, they have a major advantage in becoming the 11th non-interim head coach in New Orleans Saints history. Remember back, it wasn't even that long ago, it seems, that we're getting coach after coach, three years fire, two years fired, John Meekham days, and the Saints just stunk. And, um, you know, we've gone through a, a period now over the past 30, what, 36 years? Where you've really had Jim Mora, Jim Hazlitt, and Sean Payton with a couple others sprinkled in. It's been a, uh, a lot different than the early years. When you talk about Sean Payton, though, and the resignation and kind of what we said yesterday about how it, it was just hard to imagine him really leaving, right? But we should have seen this coming sooner. I, I Looking at it now, for me to say yesterday, you know, the news came out quickly after we posted the podcast yesterday. And just two hours before we got the news, I'm on a podcast saying I thought there was an 85% chance he was coming back. But I think that was more because I couldn't fathom in my head this team being led by someone other than Sean Payton. But we should have seen it coming sooner. Just listening to Jeff Duncan on Tuesday's show told us that he certainly thought it was more than just talk this time. The people inside the building were clueless which spoke volumes. But none of us, except for the very clueless individuals who are inexplicably happy Sean Payton is gone, there are those people out there. Clueless. None of, none of those outside of those people were ready for this day to come so soon. Again, based on history alone, we should have seen it coming. Many of the greats in NFL history didn't last as long in one place as Peyton remained in New Orleans. John Madden, Bill Walsh, Vince Lombardi, they coached 10 seasons in the NFL, period. The great George Allen coached for 12 years. Tony Dungy had enough after 13 years. Jim Mora here in New Orleans made it 15 total when you include his time with the Colts. 
There have only been 27 coaches in the 102-year history of this league who have lasted 16 years. And only a dozen before Peyton made it that long with one team. And we're counting Peyton's suspended year in that. Think about that. Ten coaches made it with the same team longer than Peyton. Two more made it the same amount of time. And the names on this list are pretty, pretty impressive. George Hallis, 40 years with the Bears, from 1920 to 1967. Tom Landry with the Cowboys for 29 years, from 1960 to 1988. Curly Lambeau with the Packers, 28 years, 1921 to 1953. Don Shula with the Dolphins for 26 years, from 1970 to 1995. Steve Owen with the Giants from 1930 to to 1953, 24 seasons. Chuck Knoll, 1969 to 1991, 23 years. <clears throat> Bill Belichick, currently 22 years with the Patriots, from 2000 to the present. Bud Grant with the Vikings for 18 years, from 1967 to 1983, and then one more season in 1985, basically as a favor to the Vikes. Paul Brown with the Browns, 1946 to 62, 17 years. Jeff Fisher with the Oilers slash Titans, 17 years, 1994 to 2010. And then the two that made it 16 years with one team before Peyton, Joe Gibbs with the Redskins from 1981 to 92, and then back in 2004 to 07, and Marvin Lewis with the Bengals from 2003 to 18. What do you notice about this list? Besides Belichick, Jeff Fisher, I guess you can add Joe Gibbs and Marvin Lewis to the list. Most of those other guys were quite a while ago. Coaches don't make it in this business these days and what these coaches go through on a daily basis, spending their time, their entire lives dedicated to football and a team and an organization for very long. I mean, look at a guy like Brian Flores at the Dolphins. Potentially the next, he's going to be an NFL head coach again, most likely next year. Wouldn't be a bad thing if he was here in New Orleans. But he goes three years, does a great job, and gets fired. Mike Zimmer in Minnesota did a pretty darn good job, I think. Got fired because they had a disappointing year this year. Maybe they didn't get to where they were supposed to go. Well, with the aforementioned list that we were talking about, the only questions that remain when it comes to Sean Payton are, what year will he put on that gold jacket and when will he coach again? He's 58. He could take two years off and come back at 60 or come back in three years at 61, do it for 10 more years if he really wanted to. But we don't know. He may find out that he really likes it outside of football. John Madden did. Tony Dungy did. 
So is Peyton more of a Tony Dungy or is he more of a Bill Belichick? He sure did talk a lot about Belichick yesterday, didn't he? And I, I think he mentioned Belichick more than he did his mentor, Bill Parcells. That leads me into the getting Sean Payton's words from his own mouth in here. Um, before we get into what my, my real lead is of what he said yesterday, I kind of want to touch on what I was just talking about, the Belichick, the Dungies, and just kind of a glimpse into Sean Payton's thought process and what kind of person he is. And I think that is hard to really try to figure out when you're into the grind of coaching. And even for us in the media, we've had interesting moments along the way. But, um, you know, interestingly enough, we talk about Sean Payton coming from the Bill Parcells tree, coaching tree, and how he wants to be Belichick. But now people will say, and they already started to have said, that so-and-so comes from the Sean Payton tree. And it's the reason why Saints fans pull for the Dan Campbells of the world. Why some want to see Dennis Allen become the next head coach of the Saints. We root for the Bengals this weekend, not just because of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, but because of Trey Henderson, Hendrickson. And, well, maybe even Eli Apple. I don't know. That was one of the funny parts of the press conference. Maybe just a little bit, Eli Apple? I, I just had a meeting with the staff and reflected on a number of things, and, and hopefully you make an impression like others before me made an impression with me that I don't even know it, but maybe that I'm passing on to, to future head coaches, future coordinators, future GMs, because I want every one of them to realize those dreams. Like I root for, you know, Doug Marone when when he, he's being a head coach and now at Alabama and Curtis at Tulane and Dennis at Oakland and any of these people that were part of this process here, regardless of where they're at, you root for them, I do, and because you want to see them have success. And it's important to our program. And no different than our players I think it's the hardest thing for a player sometimes when, when they end up on a different roster, man, we're pulling for you. Like, I'm pulling for Vaughn Bell and Trey. Eli a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty good. But, look... We'll follow Sean Payton. But before we follow him, we'll think back about the best memories that he brought to this city. And it starts with 2006. And it's clear what he was most appreciative of. The Bensons, 
Mickey Loomis, obviously Drew Drew Brees. But there was the city and the fan base. And it didn't take him long to figure out that football was more important here than it was in a lot of other than it is in a lot of other places. And that's one of the things that I really appreciated. And to me, getting these player his players to buy in and understand what he figured out pretty quickly. And it's why a lot of players stay here. And it's why most people who come here are a lot different than Eli Apple. And when they leave here, what they think of this place and why people stay here when they quit playing football, when they stop coaching football. And I thought this was a huge part of what he had to say. I want to thank the city and and the fan base. Um, I want to get into a little bit of 2006 and, and maybe the early journey but I don't think any of us when we started, certainly I didn't when I started, understood the dynamics and what took place post-Katrina with that 06 season that I thought, and I would argue was every bit as important as any other season that we've had here relative to where the city was. And it became much more, much much bigger than, than football. Um, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But this fan base is has been amazing. And you do this and you travel to cities and you see other venues. This is by far one of the one of the the most difficult places to play and, and unfortunately we didn't win enough home games this year, but man, you the the, the fans are something else. Um, it's it's not a wine and cheese crowd. You know, people make decisions to buy season tickets here. That 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 goes into you know their budget relative to what what other things they're choosing to do. We appreciate all of that. Here's what'll help you be successful, Deuce. You draft Reggie Bruce in the first round. He plays 10 years. You draft Roman Harper in the second round. You acquire Jeff Fain. He starts at center. Roman plays 12 or 14 years. You draft Jari Evans in the fourth round. He's gonna end up in the Hall of Fame uh, someday. And you also acquire Hollis Thomas, a nose tackle who I was with in Philadelphia. Um, you draft Rob Ninkovich. I'm back to young and dumb here. I'm back to young and dumb. And, and I don't have a vision. And so we let him out of the building. He comes back in the building and I tell him he's gonna be a long snapper. And then he goes and wins two Super Bowls for New England. We make mistakes, and but he ended up being a fantastic player. In the seventh round, you draft the lineman out of Northwestern by the name of Zach Streif. He plays 12, 14 years. He does play-by-play just because he wants to, and then he becomes an assistant coach here. And you draft Marcus Colston with a compensatory seven. So when we talk about the quick window we all have to get started, earn credibility, get your program off the ground, it has to include the procurement of good players. It has to. And we didn't know it then, but those were the pillars, along with any free agent that came. Pierre Thomas is gonna come a year later. Um, But those were the pillars of young players 
that we built on. Now, mind you, we also signed in free agency Scott Vegeta. He came with, we knew each other. Mark Simino, we acquired a week before the season. Scott Shanley, Drew Brees. That's a pretty good group of free agents. We took a chance on Drew at that time because quite honestly, we weren't gonna win any jump balls. And, and that's the truth. Like, in other words, we had to be a little overly aggressive to win that, the game, if you will. The status quo or just, and so, man, it was the best chance we took. And so I, I thank Drew and his wife, Brittany, and their family. Uh, I spoke to him at length last night about this decision for the first time. And, and he was fantastic. And I did call him during the season. And we discussed him coming back. And I think both of us agreed, based on our lineup versus Miami, it was a good thing he stayed and, uh, and didn't come. So I appreciate that group of coaches and that team. And I still say to this day, in 06, we've had a lot of teams, probably teams that are better than the 06 team, but none tougher than that 06 team. None tougher than that 06 team. And that leads me back to that whole city rebirth and fan base and people. That's when I grew to know like, holy cow, this is bigger. This is bigger than, this is bigger than anything. You know, this is more than just football. It's a great football fan base. There, there might be two or three others in the world like it, similar to it. And man, how fortunate, like for me at a young age to, to happen on a head coaching position with it. 05 season, 06, like right after. And look, some things, like we got off to a decent start in 06. Tough game at Cleveland. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I can remember the song playing on the field pregame. And it was a country song about Sundays or something. I can remember Green Bay is when the first time I thought Drew's arm's going to be okay. And I kept yelling at Pete before then, like, is this it? And Drew knows this story. He's like, because I didn't have, Pete had the reference as to what it was when it was fully recovered. But he made a pass to Colston on a pylon for a touchdown. We came back. We were down 13. We won that game. Atlanta week three. And then all of a sudden, like anything else, you guys have heard me say this, confidence like can develop but it's from demonstrated behavior, and, and that's what you're watching right now when you watch San Francisco play. Like, it, it's evolving, and they're the team that Tampa was a year ago, and that's powerful in sport. So, if, I mean, obviously he learned that quickly. He, he knew what he needed, at, at, at a, and it's amazing at a, at a young age, back when you think about how old he was, when he took this job, what, 42, 43 years old? For a 42 or 43-year-old guy who had never been a head coach, I don't care who you work for, but to get it as quickly as Sean Payton got it goes kind of to show his genius, not just for offensive X's and O's, but just the sheer genius of understanding what it took to run a football program at the highest level and change the way that people think. 
about the New Orleans Saints. In my opinion on why Peyton has been so successful, not just because he figured those things out, but because he held a standard here of not just the type of player he wanted, but the person. 90% of the time, maybe more, you had to be a quality person to play for Sean Payton, not just a great player. If you didn't fit the mold, you didn't last here very long. And it's not just the great players. It's not just the players, period. It's those who work inside the building as well. And that, to me, is why so many other coaches fail, because they don't recognize this. And quite frankly, it's what worries me about who comes in next. Because so many coaches don't understand this. It shows how they were able to win this year, despite all the adversity. Most teams, most coaches would have gone 5-12 and 12 or 4-13 and 13 with this team and under these circumstances. It's a people business, and the thing that I'm most proud of is collectively in scouting Jeff and your group and everyone involved in the procurement process, we've consistently found the right people that fit what we're trying to build. I'm not able to mention every player's name, um, but I am able to thank every player today. I can't hit on every coach, my current staff. I, I, I just, in a staff meeting, told them uh, our, our record was nine and eight, and we didn't get in the playoffs. We're rooting against the Rams right now because of that. But I'm proud of the job they did this year. It was extraordinary. So for every coach who's been here, every scout, every staff member, the people that take care of the facilities, the equipment guys, security, the last word I wrote down is the building. You know, and I've heard that, that saying, it takes a village. And honestly, it takes a building to be successful, not in one year, but it takes a building to be successful year after year. And, and for me to have a chance to be a, a part of that building in, in a position to to coach so many of these great players and be around so many of these great people. Jay Romick, I can't hit on everyone, but man, the tireless amount of time and energy people spend, especially in the last two years, I thank them. I thank them. But it, you know, he says all that and he talks about his mentors and we talk about Drew Brees and obviously, but it's his relationships you know, I, I don't think I, and, and I should have known, really, but how close he was with Mickey Loomis, or how close he is with Mickey Loomis, I should say. And you see him together all the time, and one would imagine that, I mean, it's silly not to imagine that, you know, you know in your own lives when you work together with someone for a long time, what kind of relationship. I mean, way more often than not, if you work for someone for a long period of time, it's going to be more than just a coworker 
boss, you know, manager and whatever. You know, you know what I mean. It's going to be way more than that. And so it shouldn't have been surprising to me to hear him talk so glowingly about Mickey Loomis. But it was kind of, I guess. And then the, the great things he had to say about the Bensons, and we knew how appreciative he was. You know, he talks about the, he talked about not getting the Green Bay job and really kind of being disappointed and then how everything worked out in the end. And he couldn't have imagined better owners. So here's a clip of um, his thought process of, of, those, of those things and the relationship that he developed with Mickey and how he became close to the Bensons and what they've meant to him. Um, Mickey Loomis, um, a, a dear friend, I would say it, more importantly a friend, just as importantly my general manager and just as importantly the person that gave me this opportunity. Um, you know, he took a chance on a first-time head coach and you guys know kind of the, the batting average and the challenges for, for these positions. They're hard. Every year we're, we're reminded of that. And, and I've written about this, I've spoken about it, and look, I had just interviewed in Green Bay with the late Ted Thompson. Um, man, I thought I had a great interview, and when I landed here, it was right after Katrina uh, in January, and, and many of you remember that. And I just thought, when I met Mickey, I thought, man, I like this guy. He's got, like, he's got a heck of a task ahead of him. Um, and I kept looking at my flip phone at the time, waiting for that Green Bay area code to come in. And I got the message that evening that they had gone in a different direction. And I remember just throwing the phone into the pillow and thinking, holy cow. And, um, and it was the best thing that happened. And sometimes, again, you, you don't have any control over that. And so he, he, um, he, took, he trusted his gut. And beyond just hiring me, I can't think, well, we've had disagreements multiple times, and yet we've always been in concert. And so, like, one of my biggest, not concerns, but one of my biggest second thoughts was, man, I don't, I don't wanna um, not be around this really, really good friend of mine, and so, God, this, and so that's that's not going to happen. I mean, I'm I'm actually moving into another property here locally, and and but but more than my general manager, more than the person that hired me, more than all of those things, is I would say my, you know one of my best friends, and and I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I mean, I could give you a thousand stories that would be interesting because our personalities are so different. Like he walks slow, it bothers me. I want him to pick it up. I don't like the word retirement. Mr. B didn't like it either. He always said, you know, retirement's overrated. We get sold this whole image of retirement by these investment groups on TV and golf courses and retirement. And, and so, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, 
I still have a vision for, for doing things in football. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, that might be coaching again at some point. I don't think it's this year. I think maybe in the future, but that's not where my heart is right now. It's not at all. So, I mean, it's, it's clear that he's going to come back and coach again, right? Somewhere, I think we would all be surprised if he doesn't. You can read through the tea leaves. You can see that he wants to add to his legacy. And if you're not sure whether or not, then this was the clip to me that told me all I needed to know. I don't know that that impacted today, Mike. It's a great question. You know, would this day be more difficult to step away had you not won a Super Bowl yet? But the, the problem is, like, one's not enough. It's not enough. And championship games and, you know, I called Mike Tomlin during the season. Mike Tomlin in week five became the fourth fastest coach to win his 150th game in the history of the NFL. Like, and I knew like he was three weeks ahead of me and it was bugging me. And he did it after 232 games and like four weeks later, we do it and I call him and I said, look, I got to the gas station and they told me you were already here. And it drove me crazy. So there are all these things that are competitively in you that you want to excel at. And that's why I get back to, and I say this with, with all due respect, and I mean that, when we got here, Who's doing this better than anyone? And if you weren't studying New England, then you weren't paying attention. So anytime Bill would say or ask, would you like to practice? Yes. And then when you were practicing, you were kind of like, can we come in? Like, what do you mean? Can I, can I look at your locker room? Can we look at your weight room? Can we, we want to learn. And I always, I find it, look, I understand it's their job, but the whole discussion of was it the chicken or the egg, Bill or Tom, Tom or Bill, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, all right, the Hall of Fame is pretty special, and it's got a, like a tremendous legacy of players and coaches and people that have been involved in the game. And so now picture this for a second, Jeff. you got to pick a starting lineup out of the hall and a head coach. And once their legacy is finalized, the head coach is Bill and the quarterback is Brady. And we can argue about every other position. I have opinions on who the receivers are. I have opinions on who the tackles are, who the defensive backs are. I don't, there's no argument relative to, might be a backup cue, might be the assistant head coach that'll help with defense. And, but that, that was the team and that was, that was the crash course. How are they, and you know what? Culture, 
smart players, selflessness, team, all those things. And obviously a fantastic surrounding cast and a great quarterback like we were able to acquire here with Drew. Uh, it's <clears throat> That clip says so much. Not just about what he's thinking for the future. It bothered him that Mike Tomlin got to 151st. It goes to show, and I love when, when coaches say they don't look at stat sheets and players say that all the time. To, oh, I don't wait, we don't look at stat sheets. We don't read clips. We don't read the paper. We don't read the internet. Horse hockey. They know how many wins they have. Even in high school, throughout my career, when I have put that someone needs five wins to get to 200 and I get an email 15 minutes later saying, eh, I mean, I, I appreciate the note, but it's really only three. Okay. It's at every level. They know how many wins they have. They know how many yards they gave up last week. They know how many yards they gave up in week two. They know how many passing yards they have for the season. Almost all of them know all those things. And it's important to them. And that's good. But don't kid yourselves. One day, your New Orleans Saints will be going against Sean Payton, no matter whether it's Dallas or somewhere else. It's going to happen. It would be very surprising if it didn't. But that's okay. It's like other coaches and other players that play here for a long time and end up going. I mean, if you're old enough to remember, and I say this a lot because a lot of you aren't old enough to remember, but the great Ricky Jackson, he's a Hall of Famer, and he's a Hall of Famer for the time that he spent here in New Orleans. But he wanted to win a Super Bowl ring. And so he played his last two years in San Francisco. And that was hard to see Ricky Jackson trying to sack the Saints quarterback. But, you know, Ricky Jackson came back. And his first game back when the game was over, before he walked off the field, that ugly Saints helmet that they used to have at midfield back in the day with the, with the ugly uh, face mask coming out of it on that just bright green, spongy, old artificial turf. He went and kissed it. He got on his knees and he kissed the fleur de lis of the helmet and was grateful. And we know that Sean, Pay- Sean Payton will always be grateful for being here in New Orleans. So that's why it's okay that he will be coaching somewhere else next year. Why now, though? Why not just stay here if you want to keep coaching? Because it goes back to what we said. And I don't think anyone can imagine how much this season took out of the man. Yeah, he doesn't... I mean, the the end part of this next clip talks about how he says... People were saying, man, he looked exhausted. And he says the season wasn't exhausted. It was exciting. Yeah, it was exciting at parts, but I'm not buying that it wasn't exhausting. Just going through every, I mean, the season after your Hall of Fame quarterback 
who you will always be partnered with and always be, you won't be able to say Sean Payton without saying Drew Brees and vice versa for the rest of their lives and beyond, really. It's kind of like saying Bill Walsh without saying Joe Montana, right? It's like Bill Belichick without Tom Brady. You can't do it. Even Don Shula, who was in Miami a long time before Dan Marino was ever drafted, more than half of his time there, you can't say Don Shula without Dan Marino. Great coaches have great quarterbacks. So this season, going without him, we can only imagine how tough that was. It was tough really for us to watch in the beginning because you keep thinking in the back of your mind that number nine is going to be there at some point. And he talked about how he called Drew. We heard that. And it wasn't right. But why now? Why not now? Every year you go to training camp, and the one unique thing about our job is it's entirely different than your summer. And I don't know if, if it was a year earlier, maybe, depending on when Drew retired. It, look, he and I never discussed when his last game would be or when I'd be finished. I just felt like this season, it was challenging for everyone. But man, I felt like it was time. I felt like it was time, you know, I kind of knew maybe heading into training camp this might, but you don't, you, you, you know, you don't share that with anyone. You think, well, let's see how the season goes and we're working hard and, and I felt the time was right for me. I felt the time was right. And it's something that I, I've been thinking about. You know, I, I think that, look, you have close friends in the industry. I've lost a few close friends in this industry in the last two or three years. Um, and also, you know, they're, they're, forget football. There's other things, spending more time. You know, there's a lot of sacrifices you make. And so not many get to choose their terms. And I looked at it as an opportunity also to, to see my kids more, to travel some more, to, to get in better shape, to, there's an attrition Two in the morning, and, and I know I hear people say, well, you don't have, yeah, I get it, but I need to. That, that's the way it works for me. And I think the attention to details are so important that it can be exhausting. And so I felt as this season was winding down um, that it was the right thing. And then the last week and a half, yeah, I'm comfortable with that. It, it was a personal decision of feeling like, you know, it's time. So it's sometimes hard to, but not with any regret. There's some excitement, like, all right, what next? I, I, and I honestly don't know what's next. Because I've heard, look, and I'm not offended, but I've heard a lot of people say, man, he looked exhausted. And that was probably more he looked out of shape. <laughs> Then exhausted. I, I'm not. I'm not offended. I'm all right with that. <laughs> the season wasn't exhausting. It was exciting. Think about it, Mike. When does the question get asked? No one asked the fired coach if he was burnt out. Right? 
You ask them, hey, how was your time here? How, you know, what are you going to do next, what have you? And so we'll figure it out. Yeah, there, there's an element of, I don't know, burnout seems kind of, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's like the next challenge too sometimes. Like what's next? So there's a big difference between burnout and thinking you've run your course, I guess. And, and, and I get the sense that just going through and just listening to what he said, I mean, his time here just ran its course. So it leads me to this, I guess, as, as we're going to about to close this, because I have one more clip to play. And a friend of mine asked me if um, he texted me yesterday and asked me, if this was the saddest day in Saints history. You, you can't say that. It's not. It's, it's, it's not even close. Because if you think about, as I go into this, and I'm leading into this last clip, and I'm not doing it a great job of it, my transition here. But you think about where this team has come in the matter of 16 years. And where it was in 2005. I mean, the best this team had ever done was win one playoff game. They won one division title. That was done over the course from 1967 to 2005. They had only been to the playoffs a handful of times. We thought Jim Moore was the greatest thing well, a lot of us did since sliced bread because of what – and he – Jim Mora, nothing against Jim Mora because he took a team that was completely awful for 20 years and took them to the next level, right? He took a team that was perennially 4-12, and 2-14 – whatever, and just stunk, had never even had a winning season, and he took them to the next level. But in the way people thought about the Saints back then was not what they think of the Saints today. Jim Hazlitt took over for Mike Ditka and basically kind of went status quo with what Jim Mora was able to do. Had some eight and eight seasons, took them to the playoffs here and there, won the, the team's first playoff game almost by a miracle. Hakeem dropped the ball, remember that. But, and he left, I mean, he should have, he should have been gone a couple years before he left, but the Benzins are loyal, which is why Dennis Allen, by the way, is got to be the leading candidate. Is he the best candidate? That's for someone else to, to judge. And if he gets the job, we'll figure that out as we go along and who he could have got the job against. Dennis Allen has probably earned the job because of the way, not only the way he handled the team in, in an interim capacity this year and how huge of a role he's played, but the fact that he's learned from past experiences 
coach of the Raiders, and he's learning to Sean Payton. But again, it brings me back to my friend's question. Why is this not the saddest day in Saints history? It can't be the you can't be sad at all, really. We don't like change as it's a it's a human trait for most people. You just don't like change, and I'm certainly one of them. And it didn't hit me nearly as hard as I thought it would. It probably will later, especially if we have a couple of uh, five and twelve seasons or either even seven and ten. You go forward and you'll think about it. And I'm going to end uh, the show after this last clip with a, with a song that um, I think kind of explains it all. But you can't be sad about it. What did Sean Payton say any, at the end? We're not writing an obituary. He wanted to leave a place better than he found it. And there's no question he's done that. And with that, before we get to the last clip, just a reminder that uh, on Friday, <clears throat> we will have Marlon Favorite. And we will have our regular Friday characters talking about the NFC and AFC championship games. Um, it's been a weird playoff season. No Saints for the first time in a while. No Drew Brees and now no Sean Payton. But again, as I leave you, I remind you that Sean Payton most certainly left th this team and this city in a better place than he found it. And all we can say to that is thank you. Peace and love, my friends. I thought about my mom, if, if she were alive today. Two things, I, I wore this shirt because she always said, you have to wear this color, it matches your eyes. She'd be in her 90s today. She, 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 her and my dad are both passed away. But she, you know, they talk all the time about like leaving a place maybe better than when, it, when you got there to begin with. And I think we've done that. And it's not finished. We've got all these coaches that are sitting here with contracts and Mickey and, and the leadership in place to to continue that. But um, but yeah, we're not we're not writing an obituary today. It's it's a step. It's just another direction. Look, I, I spent a week confirming what I believed, and that was smart. But I wouldn't say, man, we finished the Atlanta game, beating Atlanta, and, and, and in the locker room watching the end of that game in overtime, that it was like, well, this is it. Like, I, I wasn't saving programs or it. Yeah, it, I think it was something a little bit more, I thought it could be it. It, it, this this might be it, and and if this is it, and you beat Atlanta one more time, that's pretty cool.